Hello, good time of day to you, fair human, in whatever part of this spinning globe you may happen to be. My name is Arjuna. This is the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. I am one of your hosts. Today we're joined by the other co-host, the ghost assassin himself, the Ozov Slayer, the treasure hunter, the never-quitting, never-ending value train known as Covert Go Blue. How you doing today, my friend, and Batman as well? I'm Batman. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm chilling, and I'm just sitting around making treasures, casting deadly visits, and using it to do whatever the hell I want. It's it's actually a really good life in standard 2022 on MTG Arena. Yeah, must be fun, man. Must be fun. Quite, quite. <laughs> I mean, I I could do it too. I'm just I don't know. I I'm feeling salty about it. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get, we'll to, get that. to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, you are of course um, alluding to a deck that I built, tweeted, and now is apparently meta, as many people like to DM me and complain about. And uh, but you know, all part of the show. All part of the show. Dude, I mean, it's what you do, right? I do. I mean, that that's shooting the messenger, man. So we are going to spend a majority of the show today talking about Standard 2022. There have been many developments. This is basically, what, week three now? Beginning of week mm-hmm. three, maybe? So that's it's, it's a cooking format, and things are shifting, and I'm very excited to cover that. There have been a couple of announcements, which we want to get into. One of them is a non-announcement. It's a, it's a time-shifted announcement. It's a... 2022 announcement as it were <laughs> i mean is it I, I i feel like they made the announcement it's their announcement we'll, we'll get to it anyway there's a, been a leak there's been a there's leak been a in leak. the system and exactly uh, they, yeah we've got something to talk about there they they rotated the announcements early so um why, why don't why don't we dive into that real quick and then we can cover the other more official one so this is basically what happened is that Robert Taylor, a.k.a. like Mr. Magic, a.k.a. the New York Times of Magic. At Fireshoes on Twitter. At Fireshoes, basically the man. He has a Discord and he just like has a bot, right? It's like he probably has like a channel and he has a bot in the channel and it just like trolls for Wizards announcements. So uh, anyway, he like this article popped up. And he looked at it and he was like, oh, crap, you know, like this is an announcement. And then when he looked further into it, he realized that it had been released early. So it seems like rather than this being like, um, you know, someone on the inside actively leaking it out, it seems like it was just a good old fashioned wizard's mistake. What do you think? Yeah, it looks like it's just an oopsie. I also Mm -hmm. can't tell if this is his Discord server from the screenshot or if it's the official Wizards of the Coast Discord server. Oh, okay, the actual Magic one. I think it might be, yeah. Oh, well, that's even more embarrassing. I know! Uh, (laughs) Anyway, they publish a link to an article three days early, which, I don't know, if if it were another Adventures in the Forgotten Realms D&D book, I'd be like, whatever. But it's not. It is telling us about a set that they absolutely haven't announced that is basically coming out of nowhere. Now, this isn't a complete blindside for you, right? Because uh, you had been privy to a little bit of inside information, as it were. NDA? NDA? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, I cannot uh, 
confirm or deny that I may or may not have known a little something about it via email, but I definitely never told you, so I don't know how you know that. Well, perhaps Bottlebrush will have to uh, <laughs> take care of this one. I figured the cat was out of the bag, but maybe I, maybe I just stepped in it there anyway. So, all right, so let's get into the, the meat of this announcement. So the title of this says, Jumpstart Historic Horizons Packet Lists. So there's a couple of juicy pieces of information here. First of all, Jumpstart's coming back. Um, I feel tepid on that one. However, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. And the second one is that they're releasing a Historic Horizons set. So this is like, the first, as I'm given to understand, this is the first like full set that they're releasing, which is specifically geared towards the historic format. So the first question I have for you, CGB, maybe you can confirm or deny this, is that like you won't be able to go to like a card shop and buy packs of Historic Horizons, right? Not to my knowledge. I don't, yeah. No, no, no. So whereas the previous Jumpstart set was actually released in paper, this one looks like it's going to be a digital-only, historic-only release. And if true, that is setting a really excellent and, in my opinion, fantastic precedent for the Arena client. I mean, here's the thing, right? So some people have complained. They've been like, Duh, Glavin, it's not a real magic set. I won't be able to play these cards in Commander and blah, 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 blah. So, and and, and to, to clarify, they've told us that they have 31 new to magic cards that are only going to be in this release. So Yeah. It's not just a set that's only for Arena. There are yeah. cards, 31 cards, that are only for Arena right now. Yeah. And I mean, so that's something, right? And I think yeah. that it's pretty exciting for folks like you and me who treat Arena as a serious magic platform. And also, I think folks like us who are just wanting to have a digital experience which uh, explores some of the space that a digital experience can offer, right? Yeah. But here's another exciting thing about this, and then I'll hand it over to you, CGB, for some expert commentary. They're talking about, they're actually going to release hundreds, this is a direct quote, hundreds of cards from Modern Horizons, Modern Horizons 2, and more. And more. So, if you've heard us gushing on the show in the past, these sets are really powerful, and it just makes me wonder, CGB, are we going to see, like, some of these busted saga lands showing up in Historic? I mean, what are we in for, man? Ah, man. If, if you mostly, and about 70% of you have said that you do, listen to us and not a bunch of other podcasts because we focus on Arena, you may not know much about Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2, and these are sets that were designed for paper and MTG Online, which is an older client, to shake up one of the older and more beloved formats in Magic history, Modern. And when we say shake it up, like we're talking about that takes printing cards so powerful that like they are stronger than most, if, if, like 99% of the cards in MTG history, they are better than those. So, yeah. so it's just yeah. a super power pushed format um, in in so many ways, and it has absolutely shaken modern. Each time these sets have come out, they have changed modern entirely, and the the power level of modern is extremely high, higher than historic. Um, and the idea of modern horizons and modern horizons two cards being introduced to historic one cool idea. 
I really thought they should have done this with their historic anthologies is put in more Modern Horizons 2 cards when that was hot. So great idea, but potentially dangerous because, oh yeah, yeah. like if the Strixhaven Mystical Archive, like absolutely turned historic upside down, cards from Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2 might just bust it in half, depending on which ones they choose to print. Because some of these go into the, the top, 10 maybe all time of magic cards like the stuff that comes out and at least in creatures like their creatures especially we talk about like hogak urza yawgmoth and in modern horizons 2 we have ragavan and uh, it's just absolutely crazy like the creatures that they print so my analysis is I, i'm going to turn it back into a question because i have my opinion about it I, here's what i say hmm. is historic the most unstable format ever Oh, I mean, easily, right? I easily. think so. Yeah, it's just all over the place, right? It's it's one of these formats where I mean, so here's the funny thing about historic is you can just you can even print just a couple of busted cards into historic and because the card pool is still relatively small enough, you know, it's like they unveil Ulamog and it's like a sea change in the format, right? They, you know, they print mm-hmm. uh they print Thoughtseize into the format and it's like a total sea change and so you know historic is is this combination of being small enough and young enough and also just like getting these freaking steroid injections into the arm of all of these powerful cards from the rest of magic so i totally agree it's like an unstable mutation at the moment and i think that you know anyone (laughs) anyone who gets too attached to historic looking a certain way is in for a ride and I mean, I, I think if you've been playing the format long enough, you probably know that already. So for any of our newer crafties who have been dipping their toes into Historic, maybe you, you know, saved up the wild cards to get together your Auras deck, or maybe you're running Angels, or you splashed out for those four Cocos and you're doing whatever, just strap yourselves in because it's not slowing down. I mean, Historic is just going to be a wild ride for... I mean, the conceivable future, right? I don't see any indication of them slowing down. If anything, they're speeding up. Yeah. And I mean, so the historic, the, the mystical archive was like pretty much the biggest thing to happen to historic apart from, you know, like Eldraine or something. And this seems like it's going to be even bigger than that. So I don't know, man. It's like all bets are off. You know, we could be seeing like busted snow decks in historic coming up. We could be seeing a return to food in historic yeah i mean just to give y'all an idea if you're not following modern at the moment um one of the strongest modern decks at the moment is a food deck with new food cards that they printed specifically and it's like i don't really know what they were thinking it's it's like if you imagine you know you rewind back to the affinity days where they banned like it was like nine cards out of standard or something because affinity just ruined the format it would be like them just turning around a year later and printing an- <laughs> another busted set of affinity cards so whatever you know no judgment that's all water under the bridge but anyway um so th- that's just an ex- like yeah, there's, I don't know, there's like this list of 10 to 15 cards that have, just like CGB said, they've basically taken the lunchbox of Modern and turned it upside down. 
it's like we could be seeing anything. We could be seeing aggro red prowess decks being top tier. Yeah, snow decks, like I said. We could have like busted combo artifact decks. Like all bets are off, man. Yeah, I will definitely go over the list when we have it. Right now, it's just pure speculation mode. And you just sit around thinking between Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2, there's so much stuff they could add to this format. And it also says, and more. Don't miss and more. They could add Black Lotus if they wanted to. Yeah, Delver of Secrets, let's go. Yep. Um, I mean, who knows? And more is a pretty powerful word, and they've used it when Amonkhet to just push a ton of cards into Historic, and they'll probably keep doing things like that. What I'm really curious, what are these 31 new-to-magic cards that you'll only find in this digital release? Are they embracing the non-paperness are we going to get like serious RNG type Hearthstone cards that just utilize all kinds of like selecting weird things at random, random effects all over the board stuff that just doesn't work in paper? Yeah, it's a good question. And honestly, I'm not particularly thrilled about that part of it. Like, for example, I'm trying to think, isn't there a mechanic in Hearthstone where it like randomly plays cards from your library? I think that's a that's a mechanic I heard about where it's like you sounds you about put right. A, there's like an ETB and it says it says like um, you know randomly cast a creature card from your library or something like that. That and, sounds uh, right. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you just wouldn't really see from Magic. Um, so yeah, I mean, if 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 implemented right, I think it can be really sweet. I definitely do tend to have a consternation when things start getting too random and too swingy. Um, I just think that for entrenched, spikier players such as ourselves, well, I'm not going to speak for you, but for me, um, too much of an element of randomness just starts to get pretty frustrating if you're trying to play like high-level magic. Um, You know, too much kind of Tybalt's trickery kind of nonsense can get a bit much, you know? It can, but let let me throw this, though. What if they made Chaos Orb Ooh. for MTG Arena? Now, Chaos Orb, oh, God, put it up, Bottle dude. Brush. <laughs> Chaos Orb is a card from the original Alpha. Like, you flip it, and any cards it lands on are destroyed. You have to, like, flip it from 10 feet or whatever. You could put that on Arena and just drop it, you know, randomly somewhere on that board. Who knows? Could be fun. <laughs> just think of the feels bads, right? I do. Yeah. I love it. It's beautiful <laughs> in a way, you know? Oh my gosh. I mean, we're already getting a taste of this in the Forgotten Realms Limited, right? Where mm-hmm. people are just rolling natural 20s and stuff. I mean, the more randomness you get into the game, the more you're going to have these, you know, angry posts on Twitter. I'm uninstalling right now because my opponent rolled three natural 20s in a row. All this kind of stuff. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, if, if they strike the right balance, it'll be sweet. And just as a reminder to folks, we already have some exclusive to Arena cards on the client currently. Um, if you are more best of three player, you might not know that they exist because they tend to be best of one only. But uh, if you actually look up, there's the ANA and ANB sets of Magic cards. Um, there's a number of exclusive to arena cards in those sets and uh cgb i think you've actually ended up putting more than one of these in your decks over the years haven't you i forgot that they were arena only i don't remember them anymore (laughs) (laughs) like the like the hallowed priest for example 
Um, those aren't, are they arena only? I thought that was a paper card somewhere. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but yeah, that, I've definitely played Hollowed Priest when life that game decks get dry. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you just need a, a pride mate, a nerfed pride mate for a deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you need a strictly worse pride mate in your deck. Anyway, so anyway, uh, that's going to be really interesting. We'll see how that all pans out. But I think anything less than predicting a total sea change in the historic format, I think is just selling this release shot. I think there's basically no chance it's not going to completely turn the format on its head. It's unreal, right? Because we just suspended Brainstorm. Like we just did that. You're going to get like one or two weeks of, oh, well, this is the meta now. And then it's yep. not. It's not the meta. Yeah, I mean, Surprise. this is August 12th, friends. This is literally like, what, about two weeks from now? Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, CGB, because, you know, we should tell the people about that too, right? Brainstorm, just suspended in Historic. That was week two. That was this week as well. That was this Surpr- week. Yeah, that was Wednesday. Surprise <laughs> ban and restricted announcement. Uh, I don't think people necessarily saw it coming, but... Uh, yeah, they announced that they are suspending Brainstorm. The announcement is what I rem- I'm going to remember more than the actual suspension. Because the announcement was all like, guys, these win rates, like, it's not that good. It's not that good. But you guys just keep playing it. Why do you keep playing it? It's not that good. It's not that good. But I guess we'll suspend it, but it's not that good, you guys. Come on. We're getting gaslit, dude. <laughs> I know. We're getting... We're getting sh- they're, like, mad at us for not wanting to play a format where Brainstorm is legal without playing Brainstorm, is what it feels like. They're like, we're trying to create a fun, healthy meta, and you guys just keep playing Brainstorm, even though you're not winning as much as you should be for us to have to ban something. We, we hate to just ban it because it's the right thing to do for a healthy <laughs> format. We'd prefer to ban it off a win rate. But since you guys kind of suck, we have to. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, our R&D fellas, they've, people, they've figured out how to beat this card, and y'all plebs just can't do it. So whatever, we're just taking it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my opinion... It, it was surprising when it happened. The timing was surprising, but the content of the ban or the suspension, I should say, was not surprising, I think, to anyone. The card really has been very dominant, especially at the top tables. You know, yeah. I think this is, an, this is another thing that we have to talk about is, okay, maybe the average player win rate isn't like through the roof. But, you know, you look at pretty much any tournament standings and Brainstorm has just completely dominated those formats. And you can see why. Brainstorm is one of the most skill-testing cards we've had in Historic. It rewards people who think many turns ahead. It rewards people who have a really cogent understanding of that deck's game plan. It rewards people who know how to respond to opponents' plays and know when they need to spend their mana, etc., etc. So it's really a very, very difficult card to play optimally and i think this is one of the reasons why you see all of these top tables folks gravitating towards these brainstorm decks because they can just have a kind of they can sculpt the game in basically any way they want with a card like that in their deck so even though we haven't had that many fetch lands in historic um i mean fable passage is enough that's enough you know you yep and and with cards like brainstorm in your deck they draw you into more of them so i mean it's just I don't know, CGB. I mean, do you, do you have anything to add to this this hate storm I'm throwing? No, I I think that was really well said, and I, I I agree with you on all of it. I think that brainstorm does just kind of limit your options. You want 
to have cards available across a variety of archetypes and a variety of strategies that are of a reasonably level power level that make you feel like you can play those strategies without playing at a disadvantage. And nobody feels like they can play a deck in a brainstorm format that doesn't have brainstorm. It's it's like there was nothing on par with it in historic to just allow one player to play a very smooth, well-crafted, thoughtful game while the other person is drawing their card and throwing it on the battlefield and hoping for the best. So, yeah, it just limited what you could do. I will say this. Once I found out about the Historic Horizons leak, like, does that make you, like, did, I, I'm surprised that they suspended it two weeks before a mm. cataclysmic meta shift if they knew mm. one was coming. Like, these these two weeks, I guess, they really want to do something with? I'm, I don't know. Well, or it could be that uh, someone's been playtesting Future Historic and they're like, oh, God, this, this Brainstorm no. card's not it, getting any less whoa, busted. Whoa, 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 <laughs> stop right there. They playtest Future Historic. I, what are you? What? Hey, man. No, they don't. Just baseless speculation. <laughs> Dude, we've been through two bands and a suspension since the Mystical Archive came out. They don't playtest Historic. <laughs> Uh, some speculate as to whether Wizards employees even know what cards are in the format to begin with. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I keep expecting one day to just randomly find Ice Fang Coatl in my collection. You know, it could happen. It could happen. Yeah, August 12th, it could happen. Could happen. So uh, keep an eye out for that, Crafties. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, if you've heard me speak on this podcast in the past, you'll know that I've been fairly down on Jumpstart in the past. However, one of the main reasons for that is just that I really didn't like the majority of the cards in the card pool. And if these you know, packs, if, these, if this set has enough strong cards in it that actually make you feel like, whoa, I'm playing powerful historic magic, then I'm going to be all about it. I mean, what, what do you think, CGB? Like, if the cards are fun enough, if the combos are interesting enough, if the magic is deep enough, would you spend some time and some of your gems to play some Jumpstart in this format? Yeah, it's the same conundrum as you. My turnoff for Jumpstart was power level. Modern Horizons. When you just say Modern Horizons to a magic player who has followed the modern format, the, the, impli- the implication is power. Like, mm-hmm. that is the implication. It's like it's almost like saying vintage or legacy. But uh, when it comes to, like, modern and any format smaller than modern, when you say modern horizons, the implication is power. If, this, if these packs are powerful and we feel like we're playing, like you said, fun magic, then I might do it. And that leads me to transition into the acquisition model, which is you can't buy the packs in the store, at least not historically for Jumpstart. You kind of have to pay and then play, or you have to craft. And I, I, I have whale problems. I, if I, I have to open packs to get wild cards, and when I open packs, all I get are 20 gems. I don't even get rare cards anymore because I have most of them. So it's this feels bad where I don't want to open packs to get wild cards to craft, so I probably do have to get into the jumpstart queue pay the price and then resign every time which is a feels bad it just feels like you're wasting time and bleeding value if the set is actually fun and i play those games it might be less feels bad so i hope so (laughs) i'm sorry cgb i was trying to pay attention to everything you just said but as soon as you said whale problems i imagined you like like pulling garbage out of your baleen and stuff (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I imagined you getting cornered by a pod of orca whales and having your <laughs> fins gnawed off. 
<laughs> Whale problems, man. Whale problems. Okay. <laughs> Free it's hard, Willy. It's hard out here for a shark, man. I got these whale problems. <laughs> uh, it's hard being an apex predator, but, you know, we'll deal. So, yeah, man, um, I agree. The acquisition model is definitely... Uh, people have had a lot of a lot of complaints to level in the past about it and it's just a it's a very different kind of a product and now it's a very different kind of a digital product and we're just going to have to see how it pans out and of course it's all going to come down to the bottom line and so you know i think if people buy a lot of jumpstart then they'll probably keep doing it and if they think that a different kind of a model like you know more of this archive model where they're just putting a bunch in a standard set works best they'll probably do that um if they you know if if the anthology thing's been selling well for them which i suspect it hasn't my my guess is that the anthology overall has not been the most successful business model for them what do you I, think i bet i think it still sells probably well but i bet mm -hmm. it slowed way down since the first ones mm -hmm. way down yeah that's what i think too i mean you know, I, I think it's a fine model if you just want people to spend their wild cards, right? Like, if you want people to just dump eight more mythics into their format or whatever, then, uh, yeah, it's probably just fine. And it costs them very little, I'm sure, to put them together and release them. So they probably won't stop doing it. But, um, yeah, I think something like this, you know, historic jumpstart or the, you know, mystical archive, stuff like that, I think, in in my, from my perspective, I think it's probably a much more lucrative option for them yeah, just in yeah. terms of the acquisition model just get more cards in there man let's go yeah this yep. screw up this format again why not it's a dumpster <laughs> anyway do you remember when historic was a dumpster literally just a dumpster it's where your cards went to die yep oh yeah. man i mean it so historic was like this weird just little edge case format and as i remember it and then it basically was it was almost yeah it almost simultaneously, it was like Field of the Dead, Golos, and Nexus of Fate hit Historic. And then all of a sudden, it was like Magic's next busted format. Yeah. And I think that Historic's been struggling to stay balanced ever since those early inauspicious days. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's come a long way, and it's going a long way. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that and report back to you what is happening. Yeah, by next week or the week after, we'll probably have a card list to talk about. Awesome, man. I can't wait. So I just wanted to quickly ask you about the set championship CGB, because you were just telling me a little bit about it. So why don't you tell our listeners what's going on with that? So they made some competitive play announcements. The probably coolest one is that the Magic World Championship now is going to be future standard. It's going to be like That's the week... Cool. Yeah, it's going to be like a week after the release of the new Innistrad set and rotation, and it's going to feature Future Standard. Dude, this is like the way Pro Tours used to be. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It means we get to see the pros playing super high stakes with new cards, trying to pioneer, like break new ground, trying to break a new format, something we honestly haven't seen for a really, really long time. And it used to make such, just such a better experience for the viewer. I, I get that it's hard work for the participants. They have to basically solve a format in a week, but they're also billed as the best freaking magic players in the world, man. If anybody can do it, it should be them. I've heard, I mean, I don't know if it's like, you know, all of them, but I've heard a lot of those old pros saying that it's some of the funnest magic they've played is like 
having to brew in week one of a format and then play a high stakes tournament. So I think a lot of pro players really dig it. Hold on, I got I got even more for you. Three rounds of Innistrad Midnight Hunt draft kickoff oh, the world championships. Snap. Wow, that bringing draft back. You know, there's been a lot of consternation around these various tournament announcements and whatnot. This one seems like like a greatest hits, right? That kind of like they're trying to take the best of what people liked in the past and bring it back. Yep. Let's hope it's not just a nostalgia ride. Let's hope that it's actually a return to some previous ways of running tournaments that just a lot of people loved. And one of the things I like about this is that, okay, so it's one thing to be a format specialist. That I mean, it takes a lot of skill. I'm not knocking anyone who does that. Those players play at the highest level, and they're very good. But like the one, one in best of one. <laughs> the one in best of the one. format specialist. Go on. <laughs> you are the specialist, CGB. But here's the thing is that like to win a pro tour in the past, you had to be basically good at everything. You had yep. to be uh, winning. You had to be a champion drafter. And you had to be a format specialist in at least one format. They've even done some of these mixed format tournaments where you had to be good at like two constructed formats and a draft. And I even remember there was a world, uh, there was a world, uh, maybe like 2016 or something. You might remember this better than I do, which was like a cross format tournament. And that was some of the coolest magic I've ever watched because you got to see all of these high level players like duke it out in legacy and play modern and then go to draft and go to standard and it was it's just like a tour de force of being good at magic and i think that if you win a tournament like that you can you know hold your head up and say i am a world-class magic player hell yeah so i knew that you would love the return of draft and i'm sure some people are also excited about that for others like me it means i get to sleep or relax for three more hours before i start (laughs) watching the footage so it's fine i'm just kidding (laughs) I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> do you I, I'm curious, like, because I know you don't obviously play that much limited. Do you enjoy watching high level limited play? If I know what the cards do, mm-hmm. but I, I literally don't want to be looking up or trusting coverage to tell me what the cards do. <laughs> if, if if I see something on screen where I'm just like, what is that? Four or five, some nonsense abilities I can't read. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm off it yeah. with arena Vanilla creatures. Yeah, because it's on arena. Like, I think that means that the overlays can work and I can just check it out if I want to. So we'll see. One we'll see. Hope. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen some amazing limited games of Magic the Gathering, but it really always came down to how well have do I know the format? Do I know, like, every card in the set? If I do, this is very watchable. If I don't, I tune out so fast. Yeah. And there is that feeling of, I, I think a lot of people have probably experienced this where, like, you tune into a stream or something and you just take a look at a board presence and it's like, this person has three vanilla creatures and the other person has two <laughs> vanilla creatures and they're both top decking and you're like, nope. <laughs> why Why do you nope. think I have weird lighting and I wear like a headband and sunglasses? I got to give them something to look at besides the board state because I can't always control that, okay? Got to hook them when they show up. Got to grab them. <laughs> so, uh, so this is going to be a cool... It's definitely going to be a cool tournament, and I think both you and I will be watching it with avid interest. So, I, Oh, yeah. it's going to be torture. I actually have to go to a convention. I'm going to San Diego Hukon, where I'm a guest there, and I have to do it those same days. So I'm going to be like doing panels and sneaking off to check on the world championships. 
Mm. No. Yeah, it must be hard. Yeah, hard life, man. You, you <laughs> just life, gotta. It's hard to be a special VIP guest on a weekend where you just want to sit around and do nothing instead. Someone's got to do it, I guess. Anyway, the other part of the competitive play announcement is the Innistrad Championship, which is now what we are playing for when we try to get top 1200 Mythic each month. So uh, there is a qualifier tournament that feeds into the Innistrad Championship that's taking place December 3rd through 5th. It has a $450,000 prize pool, and it is split format, standard, and historic. So now we know what we're doing if we try to qualify for Top 1200 Mythic and play the qualifier event. So to clarify, if you're a person who has ended up Top 1200 in any of these three months... You're mm-hmm. automatically qualified to play in the qualifier. The that's how you qualify for the qualifier by being top okay. twelve hundred in May, June, or the about to end season in July, and then you qualify okay. for the qualifier, which will be sometime in August. And then we all fight each other, and the elite, best of the best, go on to the Innistrad Championship, December third through fifth. Well, that's cool. I'm someone who I've not historically been that interested in finishing top 1200 or like going further or whatever but you know every once in a while i get really really hooked by a meta game and i've you know i've definitely been all over the numbers in this season so i'll probably just focus on qualifying and we'll see where that goes hell yeah dude uh Mm -hmm. and by the way you can qualify playing limited playing historic playing best of one playing best of three playing standard 2022 ranked best of one if you want to do that so whatever you want to play to qualify dude i'm i'm excited i'm looking forward to it actually because i'm having a lot of fun playing the standard 2022 format and perhaps that's a good segue for us to go into talking about it obviously this is kind of our format we on the arena craft podcast are uniquely positioned to be excited about this format and Kovac Go Blue in particular is like the czar of this format I would say so definitely some developments we've both had deck lists that have made a splash on the ladder and I'm excited for us to get into those this week I mean for CGB it's a regular occurrence for me whenever it happens I feel proud to see one of my babies duking it out on the ladder oh yeah which yep. which baby do we want to start with well, okay, let's start with my baby, and then we can transition okay. into how your baby just murdered it in its sleep. <laughs> shall, we, shall we do that? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay, so if you're watching the video version of this podcast, you'll notice I have Quandrix Cultivator behind me on on my little video camera screen here. What's its creature type? It is a turtle. It's Bravo. not a shark. No, 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 I, I, know, I just like, <laughs> you like hearing you say turtle. It's, it's a new meme on this cast. God. Dude, you know, if it were up to me, watch. I'll eventually call this card Ramp Shark or something. <laughs> just just watch. But okay. anyway, hey, they, they're both water creatures, okay? Just just cut me a break. So anyway, um, I've been waiting to play a deck that could actually run Quandrix Cultivator, like, unironically, or, or a deck that wasn't just going to feel like a total meme deck. And we finally found one. So... I hinted at this on our last week of the show, and since then I did some more playing around and I definitively proved to myself that this was a deck that could hang at the top tables. Um, I think when I posted on Twitter about it, copied fire shoes and all of that stuff, I was probably about a 70% win rate and I was 700 something 
Mythic on the ladder. So this deck is not a joke. It's definitely capable. Um, I know that CGBU released a video which was the same the same deck theory, a different build, and I'd be interested to hear just a couple of your thoughts on the decisions that you made. Uh, oh yeah, now or did you want to have a did you have wrap up thoughts? Uh, yeah, you like you were still going. Yeah, I'll I'll just finish up. I'll put the bow on this intro here. So um, so for any of those of you who maybe haven't seen the list or who didn't hear us talking about it last week. The basic theory of the deck is that it's a classic, just good old Simic ramp deck. You're trying to get as many lands onto the battlefield as possible, and then you're trying to resolve big things like Cyclone Summoner, which basically resets the board, and Coma, and Alloran's Epiphany, and maybe you throw in a few other spicy cards that can act as finishes as well. So that's the theory of the deck, and uh, when it when you do your thing, it's very strong, and you can close the game very quickly, and there are plenty of decks that just can't keep up with it. The first thing that I noticed about this deck was that it was totally slaying mono green, and Ooh, yeah. that was that was a big draw to the deck, because I think that's been kind of the consensus best deck in the format in these early weeks anyway. It's a deck that attacks from a lot of angles. It can be very hard to play control against it. It can be very hard to play aggro against it when their creatures are bigger than yours. Uh, it's just a really tough deck. And this deck completely clowns mono green. I think I, I have probably something like an 80 to 90% win rate against mono green with this deck. So that was a huge draw for me playing the deck. Um, so now I'll hand it over to you, CGB, and just get some of your thoughts on the build and how your experience has been playing with it and against it. So Cyclone Summoner clowns mono green. Yes. Like that, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a beat. So I, I think one of the first things you get from looking at the list is you're running like two comas and four Cyclone Summoners. And a lot of people are immediately like, well, isn't coma the best top end? Well, not when you can have a seven, seven with a one-sided board wipe that a lot of decks just can't kill. I mean, so many yep. decks, that are playing any kind of an aggressive plan are like frostbite is their removal. Uh, Dragon's fire is their removal. Like none of it stacks up to the seven, seven that comes with kind of a board wipe. So I, I thought right away, like cyclone summoner seemed like a solution to these crazy boards because other ways that you handle large boards is maybe you sweep it, but then you get attacked by creature lands or an Asika's Chariot or something like that. Or it doesn't get rid of the Ranger class on level four. That lets them rebuild really easily. But Cyclone Summoner leaves a body, a huge body on the field, and they can't just untap and attack you with a creature land and expect it to go well. So that made all the difference in the world. So, yeah, I was all about this deck as soon as I started playing it as well. Really, really enjoyed it. And... Some of the card choices that might be interesting, like I tried a lot of different cards. I posted one build in the Discord. A few days later, I had a different build that I played on a video. I feel like there's room. I feel like there's like eight cards I'm not sure about, and I could just keep swapping them around. So I'm just going to hit on a few that I tried and that I liked. Sound good? Sounds great. Yeah. So uh, Ashaya was one that I tried out. And this... Yeah. Yeah, this is the elemental that has power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control five mana um and it turns all creatures that you control into ba basic forests in addition to their other types for one thing you can generate a lot of mana because you have a good number of creatures like you turn your prosperous innkeeper into an elf as well that's that's pretty cool you turn your turtle into a mana generator that's pretty cool but what i found the most fun with it was that 
now that all your creatures are lands, your Cyclone Summoner doesn't bounce them. Oh, it's the combo, baby. It That's, is. It's it's oh. lights out, man. If you assemble that combo, it is lights out. Yeah. Did you get to try it out after I posted that? So I was actually, I was inspired by your Ashaya list. I put one in my list and I've kept it in since then. Um, and I cool. think it is good enough. I, I think anyone running this list would do fine running one of them. It is pretty much GG against any creature deck. And here's the thing about Ashaya is that you don't realize how many effects in the format say non-land whatever, right? I mean, yes. there's so it's not just bounce spells. There's just a lot of different kind of destroy effects and, and whatever that just cannot target oh lands. When they play their Binding of the Old Gods, you're just like, no takesy-backsies. <laughs> no, nope, nope. You don't, get, you don't get to take that back. <laughs> Yep, it's so yep. There's, it's just, there's just so many effects yeah. that can't hit lands, right? And so, yep. <laughs> so you'll see that like your opponent will make some play. Nothing will happen. They'll hover over your board. They'll take a moment to figure out why. And then oftentimes <laughs> it's just the shame scoop. So and then you Ashaya's, see the sh- the post on Reddit like calling you a hacker. It, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. The ultimate exactly. victory. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it just it leads to a lot of kind of free wins or accidental wins. Um, but it's also just like a ten ten. You know, it's like a 10-10 that turns the rest of your creatures into dorks. I've actually had a lot of games where, like, I'm on six lands and I played in a Shire last turn and I top deck an Oren's Epiphany and I just get to take an extra turn because my 9-9 or whatever just also happens to be an elf, right? So I guess it would be a 7-7 at that point. But, but anyway, the point is that it just gives you a lot of flexibility and in a deck that wants to generate a ton of mana every turn, it really mm-hmm. can be a game changer. So yeah, I've been very happy running Ashaya um, as a one-off. I agree that it's a flex slot, but good card. So yeah, I'm going to circle back to this, but I ended up cutting the Ashaya from the deck because the day before I had made a video with a deck featuring Vanishing Verse and that was a pretty brutal answer. Yep. And this is going to sound cocky, but some people will tell you it's true. A lot of me trying to figure out the meta every day is accounting for about 20% might be a deck I published the day before. So, it's, I mean, it's it, just the uh, facts, man. It's the it, facts. Yeah. If I make a deck with Vanishing Verse, I can't have like a five mana potential no value thing that dies to it in my deck the next day. So when I made that the video with the Cyclone Summoner deck, I cut the, the Ashayas and I added Glimpse the Cosmos, which is the two mana, look at your top three, pick a card, put it into your hand. You can cast it from your graveyard for one blue, basically get another buy off of it, if you control a giant. And the deck had two Hall of the Storm Giants and four of the Cyclone Summoner. So the idea just being that if we're going to play a longer game against decks that have, say, Vanishing Verse in them, then we need we often got to this endgame position where, okay, we did our summoner thing. We've got a few turns of, like, good tempo. But if I just draw, like, three lands and two ramp spells from this position off the top of yeah. my deck, I could lose. Yeah, like it's that. a weakness of the deck. Yep, it is. And I found that Glimpse the Cosmos, like, Help me like slice through the nonsense, uh, like just dig for the good cards. Because even when you're doing your thing, you usually end up in a spot with this deck where you've got 40 cards in your deck and about 10 of them are good. Mm-hmm. And Glimpse the Cosmos really helped me make sure that I had a parade of the good stuff. What also helped me with that was Field Trip. 
so that in the once I kind of got them on the back foot, field trip is being a learn card along with divide by zero also meant I could do the mascot exhibition parade like every turn for like three turns in a row and just make them deal with that and make them deal with that and make them deal with that. And that was also to me a, a pretty big innovation for the deck when you're expecting long games, which is very yeah. different when mono green is the best. I think your build is much better than mine, mm. but because I had just pulled out a new deck that was super grindy whose plan is to just remove all your threats over time i thought i needed more staying power so that's where the field trips and the glimpse of the cosmos replaced the ashaya and uh, made some changes yeah i i think that that's that's all very insightful and well positioned um and i you know honestly i think the deck's good enough against decks like mono green anyway that you can you can take off some percentage points and still feel really confident in that matchup it is definitely a weakness of the deck is just running out of gas or like you draw you know a quarter of your docks in the early part of the game and you feel great and then you draw the next quarter of them in the mid game and you feel awful so um definitely need to find ways to stay gassed up i actually for that reason i have been running a singleton copy of modern kynan in the deck um okay. and i have found that to be a really solid include that's that's often a card where like I'll be at a board stall or I'll be kind of spinning my wheels or like you cast Aralaran's Epiphany and then you really want something kind of uh, game threatening to do the next turn and I've found that modern kind of often fills in that slot. If I manage to stick one of those in the deck, you usually win because you're finding seven mana cards every turn basically and your opponent's just gonna have a really hard time keeping up with that. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, and I've also been running two copies of Eureka Moment, which kind of does the same thing. If you wanted to go like super, super, super deep on this deck, I think that tweaking the numbers of like field trips, cards like Eureka Moment. Um, I was a little bit surprised that you chose to run the, the what is it, Behold the, what's that card called? Glimpse the Cosmos? Glimpse the Cosmos, yeah. Look at Look at stuff, stare at space. <laughs> staring yeah into the void <laughs> glance at the sky yep i think that the snow version of the deck would be a good fit for that because your faceless haven i like turning on a faceless haven and then getting to cast that card seems pretty strong to me yep i think the original version of the deck that i posted was a snow deck i moved away from it just because i think that the snarl is enough better than the snow tap land that I think it kind of cancels out the benefit that you get from Faceless Haven. Yeah, Dryad wants to be on turn one. Like yeah. it makes a it makes quite a difference to have the Dryad on turn one. Yeah. So even though Faceless Haven is just a much better land than I think either of the other options that you have, yeah, I agree in the end that the Snarl is just worth it, basically. But I think if I was gonna run enough like giant dependent cards, I might consider switching back to the snow version. Yeah, maybe I love that there is this snow version that only changes a couple of cards, but I can still make it a new video. It's a new deck. I changed, <laughs> I changed like four cards. It's new. It's new content. It's hard out here for somebody doing stuff every day. <laughs> indeed, man, indeed. Here's another thought that I had. I So the things I really struggled with with this deck were, first of all, control. This deck tends to not have a good matchup against control. Cyclone Summoner is kind of a joke against a control deck. And then another deck I was struggling was, I mean, leave it to me, man, to, to like poke fun at your, your mono white weenie deck last week and then just have that be like, 
one of my hardest matchups with this Simic deck. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> I still maintain that Code Spell Cleric is not a playable magic card, but... Okay, but it killed you, is what it, you're trying to say. It has definitely killed It has me. killed you. <laughs> I have definitely lost to the Code Spell Cleric, so there is that, there is that. I was looking at my deck list and I was like, man, I'm losing to this really fast aggro and to control decks. And I was thinking, what card is good against both of those decks? And the card that I settled on was a Seeker's Chariot. Okay. Which really does the business against both of those decks. And I've been very, very happy with that. So I've been running two copies of that in the list. And um, one of the reasons for that, and also one of the reasons I was not running Field Trip, was just that my theory of the deck is that you want to do something really powerful on turn three. And so um, my plan when playing this deck was to either play a Dryad on one or an Innkeeper on two, and then always have a four drop to play on turn three. Okay. And I, th- yep. I think that if you're able to do that in this deck, if you're consistently able to hit like some kind of impactful four drop, whether it's a Cultivator or an Asika's Chariot... Or even a Eureka moment, it doesn't feel great, but it's still like playing Eureka moment on turn three in a ramp deck is still a totally fine thing to do. Um, so that was kind of my theory and why I ended up kind of sticking to these like even mana cost ramp cards. Because I really like the curve of going something like playing a Quandrix Cultivator on turn three and then into like potentially six mana's worth of plays on on turn four, stuff like that. So that that was kind of my choice. And I think that that's an interesting thing just to consider crafties. When you're building a ramp deck, it's really interesting to consider your curve and your play patterns and how you're going to use your mana every turn. I noticed that in your field trip deck, like your curve was different. And yeah. you were, you just built around maximizing your mana differently on different turns. And that, it's just really cool. I think that that's a really... It's a cool aspect of deck building and just something that you need to think about. So I think if you're if you are just like looking at my list and looking at CGB's list and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna do like, you know, six of one and a half a dozen of the other and mix and match, you might actually find yourself having pretty bad results. Yep. So that's just something you really need to think about. When you're building a ramp deck, you need to think about like when are your lands hitting the battlefield, how many of them are you gonna have, and how are you gonna spend that mana? Yep, and and we like we talked about meta too. I mean, if you're playing against mono white, my build is probably not optimized for that. And it sounds like chariots way better, as well as using the cards to actually hit chariot on turn three, way better. So, yeah, I like that. Good points. Yep. So okay, so we could probably talk about that deck more, but this is what I found was that I was having reasonable success playing this deck on the ladder until until I ran into the ghost assassin. Mm-hmm. And this is I'm I'll, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this deck's strengths and weaknesses in the meta game. But I'll tell you what, like your Ozov deck was just a it was a total thrashing for this Simic ramp deck. And so let's hear you talk about this deck a little bit. I mean, the basic outline of the deck is you're playing a bunch of value creatures and Kaya and Blood on the Snow. So why don't you take us through the deck's build and the game plan, CGB? Sure. So. Part of this was like idea that just was kind of creeping around in my head that the inevitability isn't like it used to be for this format. Like we've gotten so used to like ultimatum game ends, 
uh, Embercleave game ends, like these over-the-top effects mean that just trying to remove all the opponent's stuff or gain tiny advantages doesn't matter. And this this deck was kind of a callback to times when those things did matter, when gaining small, small, small advantages over time and being able to just neutralize the best threats the opponent have can win you the game. I think that the best thing that looks like inevitability in the format is multiple all-runs epiphanies in a row, right? That's like the big top end of the format. But it's if like you just... Izzet, it's like the is a dragon's end game. That's yeah, probably but, when, but if you yeah. never let them have a dragon, then they have to kill you with birds. Yeah. And that's a lot harder. So if you just run them out of everything... That And it doesn't really matter what you have left over. You can probably win. So that's kind of the theory. And then I ran into a deck on the ladder. Uh, I played like... I, I was playing your I was playing the Cyclone Summoner deck. And I ran into this deck, and it was a 40-minute game in one of my was, videos. That was the one that went into a video? So I was wondering if mm-hmm. at that point in that match you were playing against your own brew already, or if that was one of the brews that really inspired you to like to work with the deck list. It was a bit of both. Yeah. It, um, so I had the I had the deck going, but then there were just some things about that game, that epic game, where I'm like, if they played this the right way, I could just never win. Yeah. Ever. Like, Kaya and Blood on the Snow, like... Oh, it's so brutal. It's, <laughs> it's such a brutal combination. And Kaya the Inexorable has been a bit of a joke of a magic card, but the because... It just didn't fit into a format where it the things that kill you are cheaper or at about the same time. You know, ramping into ultimatum happens about the time you could play a Kaya. Good job. You exiled one of their permanents. They got two that were game-breaking for free. Yeah. Um, so Kaya, like, has never shined. But in this format, a minus three to exile target non-land permanent doesn't matter what colors it does. Doesn't matter whether it has a counter on it or not. Doesn't matter how big it is. Like, that... That cleans up anything. That's a big deal. And then you combine it with Blood on the Snow, and you can sweep wide boards and get back Kaya to take out that one other permanent. So Blood in the Snow plus Kaya means that if they have a board that would pre would normally be a pain in your butt, like you know three creatures, one Planeswalker, and maybe a creature land. If you have a Kaya and a Blood in the Snow, maybe you plus the Kaya the turn before you put a counter on a Skull Merchant or Professor of Symbiology, right? They attack your Kaya, they kill it. You untap, you cast Blood in the Snow. The Professor of Symbology dies, but creates a 1-1 and goes back to your hand. The Kaya is in the graveyard. It comes back from the Blood on the Snow. All the other creatures are dead. Kaya minuses, takes out the chariot. They're left with a creature land, and you have a blocker for it. And you have a planeswalker. And, like, you can set this up over and over again. Well, and then you can even do stuff like, um, let's say they deal with your Kaya again, but you got that Professor of Symbology, you can go to the sideboard and get that lesson that returns Kaya to the graveyard again, right? Oh yeah, confront the past. Confront yep. the past, right? So th- this is what I found playing against the deck was, I, I, it was like the invincible Kaya. I was like, yep. dude, I've already killed Kaya like five times this game. She just keeps coming back. Like I just felt like I couldn't keep her off the board. And then of course, as soon as she ultimates, she's coming back every turn. So yeah, she's, you know what it's like? Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. When it would <laughs> yeah. Ulti- yeah, when it You're ultimate, right. <laughs> like, it just keeps ticking up and then eventually yeah. ultimates and the game is going to end from there. The only question is how long it takes. <laughs> yeah so uh the rest of the shell of the deck that was really fun was 
I had been working on this treasury package and then it just really started coming together for me around the, when I made the video. You can outramp your ramp deck. Did you know this? I if, if I go turn one shambling guest, turn two deadly dispute, I have five mana on turn three. It's pretty good. Like you you were excited about your four mana on turn three. Well, I can I can slam Kaya on turn on turn three. And just from then on, I can plus on whatever creature I have and make just start creating this inevitable advantage while also exiling your best card. So the treasure game plan can actually ramp with the best of them with the right draws. I Once I got a hold of that, it was crazy. The kind of late game of spamming mascot exhibitions is a big part of it. But you know what the real juice is? Skullport Merchant. Dude, that card, like, in you the late wrong. game... You called this one. Dude, that card is such a beating. When you play it, and you have, like, maybe a creature, because it survived, like, a Kaya counter, like an Eye Twitch or something, and you have, like, five other mana and three treasures, it's like, oh, I'm just going to draw, like, four cards. I'm going to learn from drawing with this Eye Twitch. I'm going to redraw the Eye Twitch. I'm going to draw some fresh cards off the top. Like... We were playing at kind of a stalemate, and I just drew four cards and had board presence. It's wow. It, I mean, it's I was I was playing a match against this deck in the late game where an opponent brought back the Skullport Merchant with their blood on the snow because they just needed to draw more cards, and they did. They drew like they drew like four cards over the next couple turns, and then their next blood on the snow is the one that brought back Kaya. But the point is that at that point in the game, they just needed more gas. They needed card advantage. And so, and you do make a lot of incidental treasure with this deck, and it, it can kind of stack up in the mid to late game if you're not needing it to ramp stuff out. So, yeah, it does. I think that card gives you a surprisingly resilient late game, which basically no no other card in the deck can really generate that kind of card advantage for you. Yep. I And, yeah, that's the one thing on Kaya, right? Doesn't draw cards. Does yep. cool things. Functions like Teferi in some ways that we said with the ultimate and the minus three, but doesn't draw cards. But Merchant and Deadly Dispute, they kind of, they, they, they really kind of set them, they set you up to have the cards mm -hmm. you need. And also just the learn package, the fact that in the mid game you're just casting mascot exhibition after mascot exhibition. Well, that can buy you a lot of time and tempo while you put the rest of the deck together. Yeah. So one of the loops that I found impossible to beat playing an Allrun's Epiphany deck, it was just like you said, they the deck would remove my big threat. I would have Allrun's Epiphany. But what would start to happen is that my opponent... Uh, this is It's a nasty lock where you get Kaya and Spellbinder. <laughs> and yes. Spellbinder is just blocking. Yes. Spellbinder just blocks your flyers and makes a spirit every turn. And so you get to this point where like you can't get through on the ground, you can't get through in the air. Um, and then you know that Spellbinder keeps coming back. You can't keep cards in your hand. So there, there, I think I suspect that there are several kind of Kaya loop locks in the deck, um, which just make it very like. You're not like, for example, this is not going to feel good if your opponent's playing the merchant. You attack into it, they block, they chomp block with it, right? It goes back to their hand, they get a spirit, they play it next turn, make another treasure. How many times are you going to want to repeat that gameplay pattern? You're not. They're just going to draw a card every single time they make a treasure with that card. So it's like, it can be like in a creature deck, it can be infuriating to try to actually get through. Yeah. If you need to attack to win, this, this deck will torture you. Like, it, it really will. So this I, was my main question, is that um, 
I think the deck list looks really good. How does it perform against Mono Green specifically? I feel like that might be a tough matchup. Well, Mono Green is a challenge. Yeah. The good news is that Vanishing Verse is really good. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, so yeah. it can kind of take out their old growth troll, their chariot, their ranger class, whatever the key permanent is at a very low rate. That's where Vanishing Verse is an all-star. There's a lot of matchups right now where Vanishing Verse isn't particularly great, but against the mono green especially, that card is good. So that's one thing. You've got like the best two mana instant speed removal spell you could possibly have. The other thing is... When you're playing this deck well, it does something that a lot of the other decks just can't do, which is it draws your opponent deeper and deeper into the sweeper. Like if a traditional control deck, when your opponent comes out, you know, all rage, all smork, all all just going face, you just need to cast that sweeper to stay alive. And what do they do? They power up their creature land and finish you off, or they rebuild with Ranger Classes Chapter 3. You know, people know how to punish sweepers in traditional control. This deck, it just sucks you in deeper and deeper because you can play all these cards before the sweeper and you're not that penalized. Your cards have ETBs, your cards have death benefits, and your blood in the snow gets something back. So like every turn we're playing Shambling Gas, Professor of Symbology, Elite Spellbinder, Skullport Merchant. We're happy to block with these. But if the opponent doesn't commit more and more creatures to the board... Our board will stack up to theirs. Mascot Exhibition, even. You know, you can get up to seven mana, play that, and now they feel like they have to commit to the board or they're not getting through. And if they're going to stay aggressive, they have to keep getting through. So they play more creatures, they play more removal spells, and then often with the backup of treasure like ramping you into it, boom, blood on the snow, that whole board you committed to is gone. I get back Kaya and exile that other PC I was sitting around. Or I get back a Skullport Merchant and I have the first Battlefield presence. Your go. And from there, they're, j- they're now on the back foot. Now they're the one who's going to have to rebuild. And you might just cast Mascot Exhibition for like two turns in a row. And it's brutal. Yeah, it is. And it, I find that this deck is like... The play pattern is you're playing from behind for the first half of the game, and then the moment you turn the corner, it's it's pretty much GG. Oh, yeah. Well, it's GG, but it might take 20 more minutes. It, it might it, take it's... a while, yeah. <laughs> so I think if this deck becomes like really popular on the ladder, I might actually start doing things like run Frog Hemoth in my mono green deck, stuff like that. Um, just like try to get like a well-positioned, maybe I yeah, wait until, you know, my opponent taps out or something um, to like, maybe they, they tap out for a blood on the snow, you yeah. know, bring, bring back a Kai or something like that. And then you just like swing in with your frog hemoth and clean up the graveyard and, you know, get some trample damage and stuff like that. Um, I might start thinking about things like that to beat the deck um, because, you know, you want to be able to attack the graveyard, but you can't really dedicate, like, an actual graveyard hate card to it because it's not going to be very effective. Um, so cards like that, I think, might start to get more relevant. Yep. Uh, they, they can be. I've This this deck, like, the package is mostly the black cards, like the Eye Twitch, Shambling Guest, Deadly Dispute, Skullport Merchant. Maybe you also uh, Blood in the Snow. And maybe you also want to use, like, Hunt for Specimens if you want even more learning, mm-hmm. if that's what you want. But um, like that black package, you can just build all kinds of colors around it. Like I've played mono black version. That's the video I released today. So you might see that out there. Saltai, where it goes Prosperous Innkeeper and then plays Coma. Um, oh, yeah. It, I was looking at yeah. that deck list. That seemed fun. 
Yeah. Yeah, that one has like binding uh the old gods and Kaya, so it can just pick mm-hmm. off all kinds of things as well as blood in the snow. So there's a lot you can do with it. I just think that the Kaya version is like like Kaya is really good. It it's it's hard to understand how good until you've been worked. And I mean worked by this card. Yeah, it just it didn't stack up well against cards like Questing Beast, cards like Embercleave. Um it just it cards like ultimatum it was just too small ball but um yeah i it has definitely found a home in this deck and in this format and uh good i mean as per usual cgb good perception good for finding the right moment for this powerful card we all knew that it was capable of stuff so you know it's just a question of finding the right shell and this is definitely one of them yeah, I'm wondering, yeah. like, for competing with this deck, what goes over the top of it? Because usually mm-hmm. that's what you find is some kind of a combo or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. It's hard. How, how is your control matchup? It depends on... Counter spells are annoying, but they're not the end of the game because they only have so many. Elite mm-hmm. Spellbinder is particularly effective for telling you what to play around and how. The yeah. removal spells mostly don't matter unless they exile, and you can play around that with Deadly Dispute and Skullport Merchant if you have information. And if Blood on the Snow eventually resolves, it's really good for you. What's kind of amazing is you don't have dead cards. The only thing that might be a dead card against Control is Vanishing Verse. Even Blood on the Snow is a reanimation spell for you. So, Although a lot of Control's best threats are like single-colored Planeswalkers, for example. Yep, so it yep. might actually still be quite relevant. Yeah, and Verse, of course, is great against those, and Kaya is great against those. It's not hard to exile all of their win cons if they're playing any, like, loose at all and not protecting them well. So it depends. Uh, if they're able to assemble threat plus counterspell, you can get in trouble if you weren't ready for it. But most of the time, you can grind them down pretty hard. I, I've had a lot of games against Control where they scoop on, like, turn 20, because they've got like 20 cards left in their library and no ways to win. And I've got an elite spellbinder with a with a counter on it from Akaya, you know. And yeah, and I think that learn cards, learn creatures kind of punish control pretty well cuz you know, it's like if they let your professor resolve, like now you've gotten value out of it and they also have to kill it. So, yeah, I could I could see this yeah, being tough and it the deck does grind well, so yeah, it might be a very hard deck to attack. Um, I, I think, like I said before, like if it does become a thing, I'd probably be wanting to get like hasty tramplers, you know, just try to try to win the game real quick status. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about what else we're seeing in the format. A card that I have been really impressed by, and I feel like we have to at some point find the optimal deck for this card, because I think it's too good to ignore, is Lolf, the Spider Queen. Ooh, yeah, that's today's video has four of those. Dude, she is good, man. She is a good planeswalker, like especially in a creature matchup. Yep. Like that card is surprisingly annoying. Those spiders having reach is such a pain, dude. Like, yeah. the, like Lol shuts down Alrin's Epiphany surprisingly well. It's a really good card. Goldspan Dragon suddenly has to like chill for a second. Oh yeah, um, those the spiders are good, and I think a lot of people like miss. They kind of miss the interaction where if they kill the spiders, you just make more because it yes. puts counters on Lol. You know exactly. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, 
And then, of course, yeah, if you're doing any kind of blood on the snow shenanigans, you can just get Lolth back. So, um, what what are you thinking? Like, because it seems like an obvious shoe in for these treasure dork decks. It yep. seems like an yep. obvious shoe in for shambling ghast and stuff like that. Like, have you found that shell to be? Uh, have you found that just overall package to be a good combo? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I got to 32 Mythic on my stream playing Mono Black with instead of Kaya, we ran Multh. And mm-hmm. it still had the blood on the snow um, package and all of the creatures we talked about uh, before with uh, the Deadly Visit, the Shambling Gas, the Eye Twitch, Hunt for Specimens, and just Maybe. those little dorks. Do you have a little Onyx late game in there? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. there were two Onyx in that build. Mm-hmm. And it... it its strengths are the same. Skullport Merchant, you know, still making the cut. Yeah. The strengths are very much the same in that it pulls the opponent into the blood on the snow. And then once you blood on the snow and get back Lulth and minus it for the spiders, you just have completely shifted the tempo. And now the opponent either needs to play more stuff to put pressure on you, or you start attacking them. You start powering up your creature lands. You start casting the mascot exhibitions that you've piled up in your hand. And away you go. I think Kaya's better for like answering the opponent's threats, but Lolth is a different kind of good where you actually turn the tables fast and they don't usually see it coming because when you create Lolth, you have a card advantage engine and you have four points of very hard to block power and tough power on the battlefield. And if you power up a creature land on top of that, you're smacking maybe for seven. If it's the black creature land, it has menace. So seven points of menace on an empty board can kill people very fast. It reminds me of the uh, the Eldraine Garrick Planeswalker. Was yeah, like yeah. Garrick, the Huntsman, the Huntsman. That's it. Yep. Yeah, Garrick Huntsman. Um, so it's like imagine if you could just play Garrick on turn five instead of turn six. That's kind of what, what? Lolth reminds me of. I play it. I play her on turn three, baby. You got you get that Shambling Gas Deadly Visit. There you, you go. Play her on turn I mean, three. It's uh, <laughs> it's all gravy from there, right? You know what else I'm finding good in that package, though? Because this this version does turn the corner, and things dying does benefit you a lot. You know who's good in that deck? The e- Ebon Death, the, the dragon. Oh, there you go. All right, so you found a little spot for the Draco Lich there? Yeah, I think that it's the best home for Dra- Draco Lich, Ebon Death, because... Like I said, you you actually get them dead, and this just adds more to it, kind of out of nowhere, and puts more pressure on the opponent. And so many things die that you're just casting it for free again and again. Yeah, sounds good to me, man. Um, And I do, yeah, I like that you highlight the fact that Lolf, like, she's good on defense, she's good on offense. Mm Mm-hmm. I just, I, I think that we are only just starting to see the potential play patterns and the power of Lolth. And I'm predicting now, I'm I'm staking my claim. I think Lolth's going to be a player in the upcoming standard format. I hope so. She's cool. She's she's really good, man. Um, so one thing that I've been curious about, and I've watched a number of streamers kind of playing around with these like Golgari lists, you know, binding the old gods is really good. I, I think this is one of the the kind of big unanswered questions in the format is like what's our best like mid rangey grindy planeswalkery black based deck in the format. So you know you've obviously messed with at least two lists around that. I've seen a lot of people try skeletal. What is it? Skeletal summoning. Dude, that that ske- skeletal swarming. I'm gonna swarming up right here. That's to what get it right. is. Maybe I'm wrong. 
I might yeah. be wrong. No, I Skeletal think swarming. Right. No, it is. Yeah, this uh, five mana enchantment cranks out trampling skeletons that exponentially get larger. Really epic with Faceless Haven since it's all creature types. So yeah, I've got a, a green black like deck. All the same black cards we already talked about. <laughs> all of the treasure black cards. Prosperous Innkeeper, Binding the Old God, Skeletal Swarming. So it's like the same package. So I'm curious to try it out and see if that's better than a Lolf, if that's better than a Kaya. Uh, but we'll see. It seems a little meme to me. What do you think? Yeah, it's so it's one of these cards that's obviously powerful. It can obviously shut down a game. It's the kind of card which, like, let's say you're playing against a Demir control list and you slip this by their counter magic, and they're going to look at that card and be like, oh, God, how do I deal with that? You know? So this, this yeah. is the kind of card that could just end the game against a slow, dirtily control deck that doesn't have an answer for an enchantment. So that's probably, like, the best place for it. Um, I agree. It has felt a little slow. It's felt a little bad. It's felt a little meme I've beaten countless skeletal swarming decks. It's just not... doesn't seem to be high impact enough. One of the things that I think is really holding the card back is, like, where are our playable skeletons? Because... Where? Yeah. <laughs> Faceless Haven. That's it, right? We, we don't yeah, have any. So, like, let's say that over the next couple of sets, they print us, like, some good, maybe, like, aggressive skeletons. Then I think a card like this could be better because if you could drop it and get an immediate payoff, like, let's say you had a couple skeletons on the board already and you drop this card, then, like, all of a sudden you're immediately swinging in, creating a problem, and maybe even forcing your opponent to make some blocks or trades, and then you are you immediately get your bonus off of the extra skeletons. Dude, what a tilt. Even death. Look at the art. Literally a skeleton. Literally not a, a skeleton, skeleton not, not a skeleton. skeleton. Yeah. Rip off. Not, not <laughs> right? cool, man. I guess liches aren't skeletons is what we're taking away from this. For me, that would like put it over the top. Or like if Lolf made skeletons, I don't know. I just I feel like we need more skeletons. Or we need, like, I could see this as a sideboard card in best of three in certain matchups. I think, like, I think the potential is there. It's just that on its own, it's had to, it's had to do the whole thing on its own. And I think it's a card that needs support. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you. I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, this is, this is something that, you know, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts like next week or just to continue to follow the meta because I feel like there's a good Golgari deck in there somewhere or maybe like Golgari splash blue, Golgari splash red. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's some undiscovered potential with that configuration of cards. Yep. I, I like the black green deck with the, with Coma. Which mm-hmm. It basically was the only blue card. It was just we just slam coma off of our treasures, so we don't mm-hmm. worry too much about the mana. But oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic about that. I mean the the package with the shambling ghasts, deadly visit, and skullport merchant, etc., and blood on the snow. You can you can kind of move it in and out of so many things. And I think that yeah. right now, I'm I'm just gonna say it. I think that that's the mid range deck to beat. I think that the format played out the way that I kind of expected after talking to you last week where mm. everything was aggro aggro so good control can't beat it, it the, the creature lands are endless and then well we haven't seen real mid-range like grindy mid-range in a long time and then yeah. boom here it is and now I, I i feel like i rarely play mono white and mono green much less than i used to like mm. way less for me it's still matchmaker dependent unfortunately you know mm-hmm. i 
it, it really depends on what deck I'm sleeving up as to what I'm going to run into. Yeah, that is that is the arena matchmaker at its finest right there. <laughs> yep, so it's a little frustrating when you tech your deck for a, a matchup you've been losing to a lot, and then you just don't run into it, you know? It can be kind of a tilt. But I, I mean, I totally agree. I think, yeah, mid-range has found some of its footing, and I my perception is that's the part of the format that has the most development to still go into it. There are some yeah. very, very, very powerful, powerful mid-range cards in the format that just haven't quite found their homes. I, I have to say that I've overall been actually a little unimpressed with the Rakdos lists that I've been seeing lately. Um, been consistently beating those decks. I still think there's potential there. I still think Orcus is a good card. I've been finding those decks to be a little too inconsistent. They'll have like god draws and then like super meme awful draws. What do you think? There's kind of this weird case where when everything goes well, they're a really good gold span dragon deck. And when things go even a little bit off, they're a really bad gold span dragon deck. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. like they, they get to this point where they're, cl- they, they can play turn three gold span dragon with that uh, treasure gal in play to make it like a five, five or a six, six. And then they're just the best gold span dragon deck you've ever seen. Or, they can play it on turn five when they've been at parity with somebody who's interacting with them and they don't even really want to attack with it because they fall behind on tempo and then they have no top end to pay it off. That So there's kind of these two sides to Rakdos and I think it needs a rework and I'm going to start with the black cards we've talked about, the treasure package and Blood in the Snow and see where it leads me. Maybe we don't need Blood in the Snow because Orcus is kind of doing the thing. A little, but it's either or, right? So that's the. I think that was the theory of these week one decks is that Orcus is your top end. Orcus is your go over the top, right? But for me anyway, I found that to be really inconclusive. It's like Mm -hmm. sometimes it is and sometimes it's kind of a joke. You know, I've I've had like real average board states where my opponent resolved an Orcus that looks pretty good and I still just kill them, you know? Just like my Seeker's Chariot still just killing you this turn or whatever you know so yeah i don't think it's like i do think in certain matchups it still looks incredibly strong and it is just a very versatile magic card we've not seen the last of orcas by any means but um yeah it's it has not been the the closer the way that like like for example against is it dragons right like They'll just have these sequences where you know they just like drop an epiphany and another gold span dragon and uh, uh, and it's you just like I could never win, you know I yeah. could never win this yeah. game. And the Rakdos they out mid range you hard. They, they do really you know? out mid range you. They line up these sequences in the late game where they just have so much treasure and access to so much mana, and they have the counter magic ready. They have the extra turns ready, and they just go way over the top. And you're right, this like these Rakdos decks just can't match that. So that's why I want to go, you know, down the kind of rabbit hole. I wanna, I wanna ask the question of does every mid-range deck with red have to be a gold span dragon deck or can we play maybe a little more value uh, a little more right answers and mm-hmm. use the blood on the snow tactics that we've already learned are pretty good and maybe having valky around you know maybe maybe we can get tybalt the cosmic imposter to do a mordenkainen impression because we've learned a lot that those planeswalkers are pretty good mm-hmm. so those are what i want to work on with rakdos and see if we can build a better rakdos mid-range deck that doesn't end up being a smaller rakdos mid-range deck Yep, I think that's really solid. Another card I want to highlight that I I have always been unimpressed with this card, I've basically never been impressed with it, is Immister and Predator. 
Um, it's Ooh, a card I've, okay. I've been seeing show up in these lists. And on paper, it looks good, right? It, it, mm-hmm. like, it looks like a really good magic card. And I just lose to that card so rarely that I have really lost a lot of respect for it. Like, do, do you have any thoughts on that card? I think the idea of that card being good was Goldspan Dragon is everywhere, and this is yeah. one mana cheaper, and as long as you have a creature around, it just eats Goldspan Dragon's lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I So we started the format from a place of dragons are awesome, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I think that the more we've learned about the format, the more we're like dragons are what dragons always have been. Awesome, but a potential liability if the opponent has the right answers. Yeah. So I think Predator especially runs into that where you might pay for mana for a 3-3 three, three that if you don't have other creatures around doesn't apply enough pressure quick enough. Or if you do have other creatures around, turns out to be a bit of a liability. So I, I think that there's still some work to be done with Predator though. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, it is a sacrifice outlet. I want to try combining it with Grim Flare. Or, uh, no, what is it? Mind Flare. Mind, Mind Flare. Flare. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. I, I played against a Steel and Sack deck featuring the uh, Immister and Predator. It was a classic example of looked pretty good, but I won anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> but, beautiful. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, that's compelling, right? In, mm-hmm. in the right cell, it could be good. So, yeah, I mean, definitely a strong card, but I just... I'm waiting, man. I'm waiting for that deck. Like, like think about these Rakdos sacrifice decks in the past where, like, the moment we realized, for example, that Mayhem Devil was the truth, and, you know, you have that moment of, like, oh, oh, God, this card is really good. I'm losing to it immediately, right? And then, like, you have this kind of flinch reflex where every time your opponent resolves... A mayhem devil you're like oh man like how am i gonna not lose the game next turn and i just feel like the immiston predator should be that card right it should be the card that should be the oh crap card and it just hasn't been yet so yep not yet not yet yeah. it's we'll see it's kind of something you manage mm-hmm. uh did you have any other of those kind of cards that you were talking about the ones looking for a home i'd be happy to ship it to you if you if you have a couple thoughts have you played with bard class Oh, uh, okay. I, I have not considered this card. I know that Reed Duke put together a list in regular standard. Um, oh, yeah? And I know that regular standard has been, like, people have been experimenting with it. So, But I, I really have not been tracking it, so take us into that. Yesterday morning I was watching Jeff Hoogland's stream, and mm. oh my goodness, I saw a bar class deck that actually got my heart singing a bit. Oh, so nice. uh, we'll put that on the screen. Bottle brush. Do the thing. Um, legendary creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter. Uh, level two is legendary spells you cast cost a red and a green less to cast, and the effect reduces only amount of colored magic mana you would pay. Very different. Um, we're used to this effect reducing colorless and keeping yeah. the colors. This reduces the red and the green. So it incentivizes you to play lots of red and pips with the, have red and green in them and then mm-hmm. level three is whenever you cast a legendary spell exile the top two cards of your library you may play them this turn it lights up the stage for every legendary spell you know this is giving me kathis vibes mm. i i don't know if it can go infinite and draw out the deck but i know mm-hmm. you can do a lot of things so some of the kind of legendaries and we make a lot of mana, and this does the thing that we kind of want to do that you can think of, there's all these double-sided, like, gods, right? Mm -hmm. So 
if you draw too many of a legendary, that's usually the downside. But here you can play one side, then play the other. So you're mm-hmm. not punished as much. So uh, some of the legendaries you might want to run are like Magda, Brazen, Outlaw. That's not double-sided. But Plarg, Dean of Chaos, is. Hmm. Um, and this is a five-color, by the way, Bard class deck. It runs, it runs four copies of a Sika God of the Tree. And it can cast yeah. the Prismatic Bridge side, which, by the way, is legendary. So you only have to pay three mana for that side if you want to. Yeah, but I mean, that card's if, good if it sticks, man. If you play Yasika God of the Tree, though, you can tap mm-hmm. all your legendary creatures for one mana of any color, and they have Vigilance. Ooh, and doing that with Magda, so the, no, the Yasika oh. Magda combo, that's sweet. Oh, no, do it with Plarg. The Dean of Chaos. The backside of that card is Augusta Dean of Order, which says whenever you attack, untap each creature you control, oh. then tap any number of creatures you control. So using Heck full yeah. control mode, you can generate so much mana. Oh, that's filthy. <laughs> now, what do you do with that mana? Because <laughs> it's in the middle of your combat step. That's right. right. So you have here's to what, instant speed it. Yep. Here, here's a re, here's a legendary whose cost reduces, and you can sink mana into it like a boss. You ready? Mm. Inferno of the star mounts oh the six six uncounterable flying haste dragon that gets plus one plus oh for every red mana and if its power becomes 20 does 20 to any target are we doing the thing are we completing the quest the quest was completed multiple times (laughs) this deck that's epic dude it is that is sweet yeah so i'm excited to play around with this it's probably going to be my project when i get done being obsessed with treasure I'm assuming that it must be a Kin and Bonder Prodigy deck as well, yeah? In standard, it would be. In 2022, Oh, that's right. We can't. Bummer. Yeah. I feel like Kinnan's never quite gotten his due in standard. It's a little shame. That's okay. He's making Commander miserable for everyone. (laughs) That's a good point. So it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's a good point. Yep. Uh, Well, that's really sweet. Um, Are you running the, uh, the hamster? The hamster dude? I'm, I've got Bergy in there as a holding card waiting to craft okay. the hamster when I get some mythics lined oh, up in my collection. Oh, it's a mythic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a bit painful. But yeah, the uh, Minsk who makes a hamster, that is a Naya cost. So mm-hmm. it, it only costs one white mana if you have a bard class on chapter two. And it makes two legendaries. So it's two different bodies that you can get mana from with a Sika. So it's really good. Yeah, it seems like Also, a... it's a mana sink. You can mm-hmm. pump that into whatever you want to mm-hmm. yeah that that card has potential um keep an eye on it it could definitely show up somewhere yeah strong the, card yeah so the bard class deck like it looks like it's only good with bard class but you can just do like broken isika plus legendary things like we talked about with plarg to just make a ton of mana mm-hmm. and kill them with inferno so it's not a one-dimensional deck it kind of has two super proactive game plans it also can't remove anything to save its freaking life. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a linear, like, just play out all my permanents and hope it's enough kind of a deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's decks like these can just get so explosive, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're just, you're, like, somehow resolving, like, 30 mana worth of stuff in one turn or something and just completely dunking on your opponent's face, so... And I just, I don't know, I have to imagine that in regular standard with cards like Kenrith in the format, you can probably just do absolutely over-the-top ridiculous things. Probably. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's a really exciting package that mm-hmm. I'll probably play more with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. What do you want to play as soon as like you go to play some more arena? What are you going to play? I, I want to work on mid-range. 
Um, I think I've I've satisfied myself with the Simic Ramp thing. I wanted to find like the ultimatum deck in the format, and the Cyclone Summoner deck is probably as close to that as I'm gonna get. So I I I kind of got my fix. I got my fix of ramping into big powerful seven mana cards that change the state of the board. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm probably just gonna like. I want to try to find like my binding the old gods lolf like mid rangey sloggy deck in the format. Um, there's, there are a number of cards. Oh, you know what? You know what else just occurred to me? This might be a total meme, but I was just thinking about this the other day. Do you remember how, for a very brief moment at the beginning of Zendikar Rising Standard, people were trying uh, kicker decks? <laughs> oh God. I remember seeing it. There was like someone made like this really deep run into a tournament with a Demir Kicker deck. And this is like in Throne of Eldraine standard, by the way. And so I've been thinking like, man, could that be a thing? Could we like, could standard 2022 be the format where Kicker decks are actually a thing? I don't know. Maybe it's a total meme. All right. Maybe it's a Try joke. Try it out. Check but... in on you next week. I want to hear, I want to hear your tales of kicking it. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll find out, crafties, whether I can kick it or not. How about you, CGB? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna light it up with Bard class, and I'm gonna try to do some fun stuff with Skullport Merchant and Mind Flayer. Awesome. All right, <laughs> that, that all sounds well. Apart from the Bard class, it all sounds very on brand. So let's see how it goes. So in the meantime, crafties. Have courage, go out there, slay, and do us proud on the ladder. Hopefully the standard 2022 ladder, because, I mean, that's where all the action's happening these days. And in the meantime, you can catch us. Uh, if you listen to your podcast and you don't watch them, you can find us on Spotify. You can download us on your podcatcher of choice. If you haven't been watching the podcast, but you would like to, swing over to Covert Go, 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 Go Blue's channel. Check it out. You can see the fun backgrounds I select every week, and you can see Covert Go, Go, Go Blue's, like, I don't even know what's going on here. It's some kind of Star Wars background. It's I got lightsabers, dude. Dude, you you look like you're in, like, uh, Emperor Palpatine's quarters or something like good, that. Good, good. Don't know the power of the dark side. <laughs> we all know that that's your final form. So you can also catch both of us streaming on Twitch. He's over at Covert Go Blue. I'm at Arena Craft Podcast. I've been streaming fairly regularly lately, and Covert Go Blue, of course, streams very regularly every week. Uh, last things last, really appreciate. We've had some new patrons this past week, and I just wanted to continue plugging the Patreon. It's uh, it's really awesome to have your support. We really appreciate it. I want to let you crafties know that I'm closing in on a deal with an editor for the audio side of the podcast. So we have the video editing figured out by the capable bottle brush, and uh, I think we'll soon have the audio editing figured out. And that's going to be a big deal because it takes hours and hours to put this stuff together and... Having wonderful patrons like yourself are the kind of people who provide the funds for us to hire our editors. It creates livelihoods for people in the gaming industry. It means that Covert Go Blue and I can spend more time making content and less time futzing around with our editing software and whatnot. So it's just, it's a big deal and uh, it's a big motivator. So thank you so much for all of our patrons. And if you feel like you want to contribute to that pool, 
just please go ahead and head over there. It starts at as little as $2.99 US dollars a month, which is just not very many. All right, crafties, I'm looking forward to catching you next week. And in the meantime, CGB, freaking treasure them out. Kick it, crafties. <laughs> <laughs>